my hope is that in this particularly divided and challenging time in our national culture, that an expanded expectation of service, whether military or civilian, an opportunity for service can help Americans of, of all ages and backgrounds have a chance to be part of something bigger than themselves and to help build the future of our country. Welcome to another episode of Pod County. We've got a great guest in this episode, somebody that I've really wanted to get in here since we launched the podcast, Senator Chris Coons. Senator Coons is obviously a very, very busy individual and about to get even busier as he serves on the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, where they'll be soon confirming a new justice to the Supreme Court. And actually, the day that we had the senator in, actually uh, about an hour before we started recording, Justice Breyer announced his retirement. So that was definitely uh, good timing to get him in so we could get a bit of discussion on that end. But we talk a lot about his time here in the county, some of the programs and initiatives that he spearheaded as county executive, and just in general about pursuit of service as a way to become more engaged with your community. So I hope you enjoy this interview. It's definitely one of my favorite, one that I'm glad we've, we've finally been able to pull off. And, you know, at just at the top, again, big thank you to the senator for coming in and sitting down and talking with us and for his staff to make that happen. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Pod County. Welcome to Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham, joined today by County Executive Matt Meyer and Senator Chris Coons. Welcome back to the county building. Thanks. Great to be on with you. We didn't have this studio when I was here, nor did we have podcasts because they didn't exist. We're going to talk with Senator Coons today a little bit about your background, and then there was some pretty interesting news today we might get to at some point. County Executive, do you want to to lead us in? Yes, Senator Coons, you are a leader in one of the nation's leading legislative bodies, really one of the leading legislative bodies in in the world representing our state. You obviously are are close to our president. It all started here in Newcastle County government. Can you talk a little bit why you started electoral service running for county council president? Talk a little bit about why you you chose that path. Um, Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks, uh, County Executive Meyer. Uh, I appreciate the chance to be on with you. Look, I grew up here, and when I returned from living and working in New York City, where I worked with two different nonprofits, with the Coalition for the Homeless and then later with the National I Have a Dream Foundation, uh, I came home in no small part because I'd met Annie Margaret Lingenfelter. Um, Annie Lingenfelter was a county employee for eight years and loved working here, loved what the county did, was very active in doing community outreach and nonprofit engagement. She worked for County Executive Greenhouse. And when I moved home, I was working in the private sector and missed the difference that I was able to make uh, running an AmeriCorps program nationally for I Have a Dream. And as we talked about it over the next couple of years, she was very passionate about her time at the county. And there was an unexpected change. The county council president decided to retire rather than run for re-election. The county Democratic Party chairman, John Daniello, asked me out to lunch in Newark and asked me if I'd run for council president. And Matt, I don't think of myself as a rude person, but I laughed in his face and said, that's ridiculous. Who would want to be county council president? It's an incredibly difficult, miserable, and demanding job. He, as you know, he was the last levy court commissioner. He was part of 
uh, county uh, government when it transitioned from levy court to and, county council. And at the time, he was a Demo Democratic State Party chair? Yes. Is that right? I, I went home and talked to Annie about it, and she looked me right in the eyes and said, that is a great idea. That is a good way for you to give back. Didn't you tell me stories about how when you were in your youth group at church, it was at Delcast, it was there was a county park uh, right next to it where you played, that it was at uh, the Kirkwood Highway Library where your mom would drop you and your brothers off for hours and hours when... Where, I should add where there's now a paramedic station because, of, there's now because of county executive <laughs> tunes. <laughs> and, and, you know, didn't you tell me some uh, positive stories about interactions with county police when you were a kid? Anyway, my wife's core point was you grew up here, you benefited from all the great things that county government made possible in Pike Creek and in Hokeston, and you've never done anything to give back to it. So we debated it for a while, but I ended up running. It was a very demanding time in our family life to run. We had infant twins. Our twin boys were born in 1999. I got into the race, and there was a four-way uh, primary, and Annie and I got pregnant with our daughter, Margaret, during that campaign. So it was pretty chaotic. Council president is a part-time job. I had one staff person, and I was still in-house counsel for uh, an international company. And that company thought my time in politics was sort of a hobby that I should be doing at night. And they still expected me to be at my desk at 7 and, you know, put in a full day every day. So it was, it was quite an introduction to politics. I had three kids under three and two full-time jobs for those first four years. So I have an aunt in Texas. I have cousins in California. Everyone across the country reaches out to me. And they don't just say, oh, you're from Joe Biden state. They say Chris Coons is the best legislator. Like he just knows how to, how to dare I say, get things done or in, in a very challenging environment, move things forward in the Senate and bring people together. How, tell me how you went from being a very effective public servant working for AmeriCorps programs nationally, working for homeless advocacy, to being a legislator working on local issues. Well, the great thing, thank you, that's um, undeservedly kind of you, Matt. The, the great thing about 10 years in county service, four as council president and six as exec, was that it, it gave me a perspective on problem solving. This was not a sharply partisan level of government, at least when I served in county government. There wasn't really a clearly Democrat or Republican way to fix a stormwater pond or to improve paramedic response time or to uh, deal with relationships with the state and, and city government or to help solve land use problems. So, uh, look, first, I was really encouraged by the number of hard problems that we were able to reach out to the community about and um, and get I think, real engagement and grown-up answers. I was county executive, as you know, during the 2008-2009 uh, financial um, crisis, and our revenues plummeted since they are based on such a relatively narrow range of uh, resources. And I had to make some very hard budgetary choices. And in between, you know, either raising taxes significantly or laying off a lot of county employees, we managed to find a, a middle path. And the, the town halls that I did, the community outreach and the engagement with county employees I did during that period, um, although really difficult, ultimately left me with the impression that I was representing grown-ups, that the, just as families all over this county sit down at their kitchen table and make hard choices about what they're going to have to give up, what they can't afford anymore, what they're not going to be able to do, I, folks were expecting us to do the same thing in county government. When I got to Washington, one of the first committees I was put on was the budget committee. And I, I was struck at how less 
thorough and serious the Budget Committee of the Senate was, at least at that point. I'm not speaking to it today, (laughs) because there were such fundamental differences in terms of priorities and values. And the budgeting process is so complicated federally. Unlike county government, city government, state government, the federal government doesn't balance its budget. Uh, and, and not only doesn't balance its budget, but serves as the, as the counterweight. In the last two years, we've literally poured trillions of dollars into city, county, state governments all over the country. Into uh, We sent stimulus checks to more than 80 million American households. If the federal government balanced its budget every year, we could not have done that. But it leads to a fundamentally different view around deficits and budgeting and, and investments and spending federally first, second. I worked, I think, equally well with Democrat and Republican members of council and with civic and business and community leaders. And as a result of that experience, I went to Washington assuming that there was a path forward, assuming that even though we might really disagree about a few fundamental issues that define our parties, that I could find a way forward. And a lot of my colleagues don't come out of state or local government experience with that perspective. You, you've told me you have a certain kinship with Senator Scott, Senator McConnell, based on your, <laughs> your county experience. Uh, <laughs> so Tim Scott of South Carolina was someone, uh, look, I tried to build a relationship with all of my colleagues, and it's gotten harder, bluntly, over the last decade. And Tim was someone I, I tried and tried, and we, I, just, I just wasn't, I wasn't getting anything. I wasn't finding any any uh, any means of connecting. One night I stopped by his office. He drinks uh, uh, Coke. I brought some snacks and some sodas. And having listened to a floor speech he gave, I said, you know, I didn't realize you were a county council president. Let's talk about rezonings. And we ended up sitting around just, you know, shooting the breeze about what it was like presiding over, you know, six-hour, eight-hour marathon food fights over rezonings. That actually opened what's become a very productive relationship. I I will not say that uh, Senator McConnell and I, who's the only other former county executive in the U.S. Senate, we we have not developed a close and warm relationship. Not not yet. (laughs) Based on reminiscing about our Give give it time. (laughs) There's hope in the future. Circling back a little bit, and not to put any pressure on you, but you've you've got a fairly tracking origin story to our current president where you were born out of state, moved in and grew up here, county council experience to Senate. I don't want you to have to announce your presidential run <laughs> now, but... You yeah, know, I wasn't planning. Ha- you, you have a really good relationship with the president. And like you said, having that local government experience, you guys have a lot of that common ground there as well, outside of the fact that you replaced his, his seat after Ted Kaufman. Do you have that same level of local issue discussion and bonding over that, or is he so far kind of gone from those county days that he's now on to his bigger issues? Oh, no. President Biden, particularly when he was vice president, but but to a lesser extent now, loved hearing stories about what was going on in county government, loved. He, he's, he's very much someone who wants to be home in Delaware every chance he can get. He enjoys being grounded and connected. And bluntly, I think one of the things that has been most challenging about this period, this pandemic, while he's been president, is the extent to which it has isolated him from people. Think about it. He is probably the most engaging, gregarious, outgoing person I've ever met. If there's anyone you'd want to go work, a diner, fire station, a union hall, a town picnic with, it's Joe Biden. And uh, I'm glad I got the chance to campaign with him in 2008 because I got to see, you know, just sort of the raw, unfiltered Joe Biden on the stump. 
and the 2020 campaign, you know, we started off, um, I got to do events with him in, in Iowa and New Hampshire and do some events for him in other states, in Florida, in Nevada, in South Carolina. But bluntly, a, a lot of the campaign ended up having to be virtual. And I think it was really hard for him that his victory night and his inaugural and that whole transition period was overwhelmingly virtual. And it, it, it has challenged him in that I think his greatest gifts are connecting with people, people seeing his empathy and compassion and his engagement, his humanity. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we can get past a point this year where everyone needs to be you know, masked and isolated and concerned. I don't think we foresaw Delta and Omicron being as deadly as Delta was and as transmissive uh, and deadly to the unvaccinated as Omicron has been. He is someone who loves being connected and grounded locally. That's where he gets his strength. You and the county executive have very similar experiences in Africa, both spending time in Kenya. We not only both spent time in Kenya, we actually studied in the same exact, coincidentally, the same exact study abroad program with St. Lawrence University in Kenya, (laughs) I think... uh, which is very delicate. A few years apart. Just a few years apart. A few years yeah. apart. But it, 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 look, for me, it was, a, it was an absolutely life-changing, transformational experience. The six months that we spent in Kenya really challenged my worldview, my assumptions, the, what I call the radical hospitality of Kenyan families that I stayed with. Their incredibly open hearts, their deep faith, their connection to their communities and tradition. I, I just, it was a wonderful experience for me. And, and I believe it was uh, for Matt as well. Matt did a lot more with it. He went back and, and launched a really inspiring venture called Eco Sandals. And Matt, you know, has gone on and done other engaging, impressive things, both in teaching and in uh, diplomacy and stability work in Iraq. I, upon returning from Kenya, I got involved in, in working with the homeless and worked on a U.S. Senate campaign with this guy named Jack Markell, who and Matt Den, the three of us, helped run a 1988 race. And then I got involved running an AmeriCorps program. So we went in slightly different directions. But I think for both of us, uh, time spent in Kenya really opened, opened our eyes to, to the rest of the world and to how much potential there is, how much strength and character and truth uh, there is in other parts of the world, and how much need there is as well. When I was an undergraduate in college, I wrote my senior honors thesis after I came back from Kenya on U.S. foreign aid policy and the role of Congress in shaping foreign aid policy. I never could have imagined that 40 years later I would be chairing the subcommittee in the entire United States Senate that is responsible for all of our foreign assistance program. And so sometimes these unexpected opportunities uh, open doors and give us a chance to make a difference. Um, The county executive and I were just talking about the AmeriCorps program, the Emergency Services Corps, that I worked closely with the uh, County Volunteer Fire Service when I was county executive to, to try and improve recruitment and volunteerism and engagement. And there may, there may yet be another chapter of AmeriCorps Can you talk a little bit about county. what that was? Because that was really Dacoon's project, Dacoon's initiative in many ways in partnership with the fire service needed now in many ways as much as it was needed then. Can you talk about what it was and sure. how it worked out? Um, so I grew up in Hokesson and... It seemed to me that a third of the adult population of the town back then, and this was in the late 70s, uh, were members of the fire company. And that sound of the siren going off at night was something that I just, I grew up thinking that that was this wonderful thing that in the middle of the night, you know, men who lived on, on my street would get up, jump in their truck, drive and out to the center of town and 
uh, get on an ambulance or get on fire apparatus and go try and save a home or try and save someone who'd been in a car accident. I, I guess today I would say, you know, try and, and uh, save complete strangers, but back then it didn't seem that way because Hokessen was a, a much, much smaller and tight-knit community. And the, the, fire, the memorial hall and the ladies' auxiliary and the youth programming were all pretty central parts of Hokessen as I grew up. When I became county executive and got to know the fire service well, the overwhelming problem the fire service was facing, and some of this was post 9-11, was steadily increasing demands uh, for training, training in hazmat, training in emergency response, the training requirements to become a full member of one of the county volunteer fire companies steadily went up. And the demands on young people and their families, uh, two-parent families, um, and frankly, the other distractions, the other outlets for uh, young people to socialize and the impact of video games and social media. What I heard from the volunteer fire service leadership was that their recruitment was getting harder and harder and harder. And frankly, one of the other areas of focus for the Emergency Service Corps was recruiting amongst communities that had not been asked to join before. Historically, the fire service was a multi-generational service, and they could afford to be kind of rough on new recruits to basically make it tough to join in order to ensure that the folks who signed up really wanted to be a member. And so one of the areas of focus was in doing outreach to high schools and to, uh, to regular high schools, Votech high schools, community college, civic groups, and to try and bring in a broader range of people, different racial backgrounds, both genders, people of, of a wide range of backgrounds who maybe had never been asked to join the fire service before. And the Emergency Services Corps had great success in its first couple of years in terms of both expanding the number and the diversity of recruits and in looking hard at the recruitment and retention process to figure out why it took so long from the day that someone signed a form at a high school after hearing a presentation to the day they actually got to do an initial training or do a ride-along or get engaged. And so I think the ESC made some real contributions. There were challenges. You know, there's a lot of paperwork. It's a, it's a federal program. The county matched um, some of the federal funding, and we had a great partner at the uh, YMCA Youth Resource Center that did the soft skills and the training, and the, the fire school was a wonderful partner. It may be worth revisiting whether or not this is a model that could help because recruitment and retention of volunteers for the fire service is a critical and pressing issue. I don't think there's a, a volunteer company in the county today that can get ambulances and apparatus out on the street in the middle of the workday without paid firefighters. And the goal, my goal in, in launching the Emergency Services Corps um, was not about the mix between volunteer and career, but it was about preserving at least the tradition of volunteerism and improving the outreach and the recruitment and retention. Because the volunteer fire company in the town that I'd grown up in had really been the center of town, and was the oldest volunteer and service organization in our community, and to me was such a, a symbol of what it meant to be from a small town in Delaware. I think you, you make a great point, uh, and something that I'm just realizing I'm taking for granted, that volunteer services are all over Newcastle County, and in the middle of a workday, mm -hmm. you've got volunteers mm -hmm. that you're asking to come save your life. And one of the trends that was quite active when I was county executive, and Matt, you may be seeing it now as well, the number of folks who moved here from New Jersey, from New York, uh, because of the much lower property taxes, and I'd encounter them at a civic meeting or a neighborhood meeting, and they'd say, wow, these taxes are so low. 
whereas, you know, everyone who'd grown up here was complaining the taxes weren't, right? And I'd say to them, just remember this moment, because a year or two or three years from now, you're going to call my office and say, hey, how come no one's picking up my trash? Hey, how come no one's plowing the streets in my neighborhood? Hey, how come the volunteer fires? Because we're not paying, right? So we have a very low relative to the region mm -hmm. property tax burden in this county. And for most of the suburbs of Newcastle County, we push those responsibilities of maintaining open space and stormwater ponds, of maintaining streets, particularly you know, plowing them during the winters, and that volunteer response for ambulance and fire service. And at the end of the day, this is a fairly now heavily populated county north of the canal. We have half a million people, and we have to look at how we can sustain this mix of services. Folks in suburban Newcastle County have gotten used to a great library system, a robust, beautiful library system, incredible parks, and really good public safety response. An advanced paramedic system, a 911 call service center, and a very high caliber and high level of policing. None of that is inexpensive. And sustaining it has historically, in large part, relied upon volunteers providing service at the, at the countywide and at the community level. If we don't sustain that level of volunteerism and civic engagement, then you know, there's, there's a consequence to that. There's a cost to that. Before we move off of Emergency Services Court, I just have to thank you, Senator Coons, because it's a gift that keeps on giving. There are members of our fire service today who came here mm -hmm. because of the Emergency Services Corps. As you know, Captain Mar Matt Marcella recently promoted a captain of Wilmington Fire Department, a leader, and is among those who came. He came from Western Pennsylvania to Minkwadale mm -hmm. for that. Can you touch on your efforts today to promote and support AmeriCorps programs like this around the country. We were the beneficiary with National Health Corps yes. being launched uh, last year, a Chris Coons idea. <laughs> I mean, as they funded by the county via Chris Coons, again, via the federal government. Can you talk a little bit about AmeriCorps nationally and, sure. and how that impacts us here at home? Sure. Look, AmeriCorps is a national service program that is decades old now. It was launched uh, under the Clinton administration, and it has uh, service opportunities in every community, in every state and territory. It's roughly a billion dollars a year. There's tens of thousands of Americans of all ages and backgrounds. And folks can serve as an AmeriCorps member either full-time or part-time. Some AmeriCorps programs help with environmental issues, with parks and open space and uh, resiliency and cleaning up either polluted sites or helping with wetlands and coastal areas or firefighting. Some help in schools. There's a significant number of AmeriCorps programs that provide supplements um, in schools. My son, Jack, has just signed up to be an AmeriCorps member for the next two years. He'll be teaching in an inner-city parochial school through an AmeriCorps program. There's others that help veterans that combat the opioid crisis or that help with other public health challenges. There is a state commission that oversees AmeriCorps in every state. Paul Calistro, who's the executive director of West End Neighborhood House, leads the commission here in Delaware. My wife and I actually, ironically, met through service on the Delaware Commission that oversees AmeriCorps. She was appointed to it by then County Executive Greenhouse, and I was appointed by uh, Governor, Car uh, Governor Carper because I had been running a national a direct AmeriCorps program. In the American Rescue Plan, which was a bill that was passed by the Democrats in Congress and signed into law by President Biden last March, we added a billion dollars to AmeriCorps, to the Corporation for National and Community Service, or CNCS. That's the umbrella organization. And that was to build capacity and to expand the scope and reach of the response to the pandemic. 
by AmeriCorps. I am so grateful that you uh, connected with the National Health Corps headquartered out of Philadelphia and persuaded them to expand into Delaware and to help support some of the really uh, forward-leaning and creative initiatives that you've undertaken in response to the pandemic. I think there will be other opportunities for AmeriCorps expansion uh, this year, both in education and in conservation and in climate resiliency. I think there are some really impressive programs around the country that have had great impact. And there's others that, you know, frankly, after a number of years, uh, need to be refreshed or re-examined. One of the most successful programs is something called NCCC. And the, the, the NCCC is essentially a disaster response corps. They are based out of four different facilities scattered around the country. They will come into a state for, you know, a month, six weeks, Senator uh, Roy Blunt of uh, Missouri has been one of my best partners in fighting for AmeriCorps, and he became impressed with the model when he saw an NCCC Corps responding to the terrible tornado that destroyed Joplin, Missouri. This was now, I think, a decade ago. The NCCC members showed up right after the disaster, and unlike a lot of other groups that were only there for a week or two, they stayed for months, and they really rolled up their sleeves and got busy you know, helping clean up houses and stabilize families and rebuild the community. There was just an NCCC core here in Newcastle County helping with uh, distribution of uh, testing and vaccination supplies. Uh, we've had NCCC core come through here in response to disasters in the past as well. But they have a very flexible mandate. They can be deployed almost anywhere in the continental United States on fairly short notice in response to disasters, which I think is a both public health disasters and natural disasters, which I think is a great function. Last point I want to emphasize to anyone who might be listening and not know this, part of what AmeriCorps makes possible is earning a college education opportunity. So in exchange for a full-time year of service, AmeriCorps members earn a tuition award that right now is about $5,200. It's the Pell Grant amount. It will be going up again this coming year. I used mine to go to law school, actually, to there help me go. go to law school. Yeah. And please, if you would, for America. I was yeah. going to say, please, if you would, just take a minute and talk about your AmeriCorps experience. Yeah, so I was in Teach for America. I was a core member in Teach for America. I ended up overall teaching for four years, and I got a stipend that helped me, after teaching, go to law school. And that experience, as I know is true of you, Senator, with your AmeriCorps experience, really shapes what I do every day and shapes my perspective on what I do every day. You know, Brian Stevenson likes to say, put yourself into situations where you're challenged and where you see things that kind of shake off your rocker a little bit. And I know for you and me, both in Kenya, in college, and then also in AmeriCorps back home, you know, I saw things that shook me a bit in that classroom, things that I will never forget and that helped shape me to govern and make key decisions for the people of this county, as it does, I know, for you, Senator, for the people of this state and this country. Well, Teach for America is one of the more iconic AmeriCorps programs, one that was launched at the same, roughly the same time that I was running the uh, I Have a Dream national program. The key difference is that TFA has grown, has strengthened, has, has broadened, and the person who is my head of education policy now in the Senate is a TFA alum, just as you are. I think one of the great things about uh, now decades of AmeriCorps members, people who've worked at YouthBuild or Habitat for Humanity or have worked at food banks or have worked in schools, is it gives young Americans an opportunity to serve in their home community, 
or to serve elsewhere in the country, to earn an opportunity to go to graduate school or to pay off their college loans. But it also gives them a chance to be exposed to people of different backgrounds, of different political values, of different religions or ethnicities or languages or races. I think pulling Americans together through service to our nation at this moment is a particularly important calling. My father, who was a, a you know white Protestant guy from the Boston area, served as a sergeant in the 1st Infantry in Germany a couple of years after the Second World War. And for the rest of his life, he said to me that those two years that he served, the sense of camaraderie but also responsibility that he had for his platoon and, and for the rest of the unit that they were a part of really helped shape his sense of what it meant to be an American. It was an integrated unit. It was the first time that he was living and, and working and serving alongside folks from the South, from the West, people who were African-American or Latino, people who were Catholic or Jewish or Protestant, and it really reshaped his sense of citizenship and service in America. My hope is that in this particularly divided and challenging time in our national culture, that an, an expanded expectation of service, whether military or civilian, an opportunity for service can help Americans of, of all ages and backgrounds have a chance to be part of something bigger than themselves and to help build the future of our country. I want to give you a chance to talk about some legislative victories because it seems like all we ever hear about is uh, how, how things aren't happening, right? And, and you know, the bipartisan infrastructure law, I saw Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester touring the state yesterday looking at projects that are going to be you know, part of this funding. I'm certain you have some different infrastructure pieces that you'd like to see worked on. But you know, outside of that, there, I'm sure there are bills every single day that there's still bipartisan work on. Mm-hmm. It's some of these bigger things that run up against it. What, how do, I guess, how do we fix the perception or how do we get things moving so that people don't feel like things are broken all the time? I'm struck at how often I'm making progress on a bipartisan piece of legislation that gets literally zero coverage, that the reporters in the hall from, you know, Politico or CNN or Fox really just are not interested in. And I'll give you two quick examples. There's a lot of concern in the country about social media, about the potentially harmful or divisive impact of Instagram or Facebook, about the ways in which uh, platforms like Google or TikTok are tracking, gathering, and then targeting us based on individual data. Senator Portman is a Republican senator from Ohio. Rob and I have done a dozen bills together. We're finalizing a bill called the Platform Accountability and Transparency Act that would provide a path forward for academic researchers to get under the hood and to look at the algorithms that social media platforms use to drive us to particular sites and to engage us or inform us or misinform us. And I've been encouraged by the level of interest and the response But I'm also struck at how little coverage it's gotten, uh, given the significance of the larger issue. Just before we broke for the end of the year last year, Senator Lisa Murkowski and I had a moment that I'll take, take a second here and reflect on. Lisa is a Republican senator from Alaska. We've worked very well together on a wide range of issues. She traveled with me as part of a bipartisan delegation I led to the Glasgow Climate Summit. And she was the chair of the Energy Committee in the last Republican majority Senate. She's a seasoned and and very capable legislator. My legislative director lost his father to ALS. Lisa's cousin lost her husband to ALS. And so when uh, Brian Wallach, when a a whole group of ALS advocates, Dan Tate, who I know from all the way back to college, and uh, and Brian, who 
contacted Lisa's office, when a group of ALS advocates, people living with ALS, uh, and people who've lost loved ones to ALS, reached out to us, we were happy to take on leading a bill called Act for ALS. Initially, when introduced in the House and the Senate, the staff of the relevant committees opposed it, the NIH opposed it, we had a year of hard work to modify it, revise it, amend it, and then Lisa and I just, we got to work and we got more than 60 co-sponsors of this bill. Ultimately, it passed the Senate unanimously, and the President signed it into law in the week between Christmas and New Year's, and Lisa and I got to have a celebratory call with hundreds of ALS advocates from around the country. It authorizes $100 million in new ALS research and in making cutting-edge therapies accessible to folks who are living with ALS. And again, I think there was virtually no attention to this bill nationally. I understand that a lot of time is spent on our fights uh, either within our caucus over voting rights and the filibuster or Build Back Better or, you know, what are Senators Manchin and Cinema thinking today? But there are bills that get through the Senate over and over and over and that make a lasting difference. The Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill is the largest example. $1.2 trillion over a decade. It's the biggest infrastructure investment since Eisenhower built the interstate system. And it'll have significant consequences in the county for wastewater, for drinking water, for infrastructure from rail to highways to ports to airports. It'll modernize our country. It'll create 650,000 high-skilled, high-wage jobs. I think it's an enormous accomplishment, and I was thrilled to play some small role as, as part of the bipartisan group that shaped it. As a recovering journalist, I totally empathize with you about the coverage disparities. And I think there's this huge disconnect between behavior and thought on those issues because when I worked in journalism, we would see surveys all the time from readers and viewers who would say, well, we want more positive news. Everything's too negative. And then you look at the data on what gets clicked on and how long people stay on those stories. And if you do positive stuff, no one reads it. No one shares it. No one does anything with it. They look at it for five minutes, and then they go away. And all the stuff that is controversy-driven and conflict-driven is gangbusters. And so news organizations can talk about how they're going to go positive, or they're going to talk about compromising and do this, because people want it. But the data just says otherwise, and the revenue comes out of that data. And I don't know how we fix that, but you know, as we look to the new news today that Justice Breyer is retiring, that's going to dominate the news cycle for the next six months. Mm -hmm. And how many bipartisan bills are you guys going to move through that no one's going to talk about because the conflict is going to be this fight for a SCOTUS nominee? I've lived through several um, Supreme Court nominations, obviously Justice Gorsuch, uh, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Barrett. And as a member of the Judiciary Committee, uh, it does uh, sort of blot out everything else. It becomes all we focus on for at least a couple of weeks. It's appropriate, given the significance of the Supreme Court, given its scope and reach and its responsibility to interpret and apply our Constitution. But you're right. It's going to distract from a lot of other good things that are going on. Right now, I mean, literally right now, earlier today and, and tonight, I am working with a bipartisan group on how we come up with a sanctions package that will effectively deter Russia from invading Ukraine. Uh, by combining a Menendez-led bill with a Cruz-led bill and, and try and find a compromise package that we can make progress on. And there's a group of 16 of us working on the Electoral Count Act, which would have addressed the question of could the vice president actually overturn the results of the election. And we're also trying to add to that provisions that would protect election workers and combat election subversion. So 
we're going to keep working. We're going to get, I think, some good things done. But you're right, uh, the Supreme Court nomination is likely to crowd everything else out. Council President Coons, County Executive <laughs> Coons, Senator Coons, maybe Secretary of State Coons, if you read the Financial <laughs> Times, the Chief of Staff Coons, I just want to say thank you. There are a lot of directions you could have taken in your career. You continue to serve us in Newcastle County, in Delaware, and across our country every day. And thank you for putting in the long hours for us. It is noticed and appreciated, and keep fighting the fight. Um, Matt, let me just thank you. And, and if I could, uh, just a thank you to county employees. Uh, I was really struck over the decade I had the, the challenge and the honor of, of serving on council and as exec, just, just how many good and decent and caring people there are who put in the time, do the work, help build and sustain community, help keep people safe. I was so grateful for the many lessons, some of them painful, some of them <laughs> wonderful, that I learned from the remarkable folks who work in Newcastle County government. Uh, and I'm grateful for the leadership role that you're playing as you're imagining the next chapter in Newcastle County. Matt, thank you again for coming in. And Senator Coons, thank you for spending the time with us. We appreciate it. Great being out with you.